0: I was laughing with Brian, I showed him, and Dan and I talked about this yesterday, <clears throat> with this series talking about missing the mark. Uh, there was a professional golfer that in a, in a tournament, um, you know, just on YouTube, you can just about pick up anything these days. And so I, I picked up this video, of this professional golfer, and he lined up, and the, and the reporter, the, uh, the guy that was given the, the lowdown on what was going on, oh, it was a beautiful shot off the tee, and, it's, and they're following the ball, and they're following the ball. And about that time, it whacks this guy right upside the head. And he falls over, you know, and, and he goes, oh, my goodness, I think that's blood. And, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, even the professional guys miss it every once in a while. <laughs> <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? Don't ever think that Brian and I, just because we're in the position, that we don't mess up and that we don't make mistakes. And so you may not be a golfer, and you may not be have the, the, the privilege as I, as, as hitting the ball in the rough, or hitting a house, or hitting a car, or even hitting somebody else. You may never have that privilege, but I promise you one thing that you will do along life's journey is you will make decisions. Decisions. And so, what we've been talking about, what we started off last week is we started out saying that what we want to do over these next few weeks is we want to give you some, some questions. Some questions that you'll have an opportunity to be able to ask yourself in the decision-making process because decisions have the ability to alter our lives. I don't care if they're small or even if they are Large. Sometimes we think we can get by on the small ones and it really doesn't matter that much, only to learn a little bit later down the line that they have the ability to come back and really bite us in the fanny, if you know what I'm saying. Um, and today, we're going to ask the second if. The, the second of the four questions now listen don't don't get all upset if you go well that's not really that important listen and and or you didn't answer the, or this isn't the question that uh, that i thought you should a- ask this week there should be a different question these are just four questions they're not in any specific order these are these are not an exhaustive list of, of, of questions that you might want to ask yourself when you're in the decision making process these are just four critical questions that you might want to deci- you might want to ask yourself when you're making decisions um, and these are four questions that are, that are applicable to any and every decision that you make, but you'll find them very, very helpful, especially in those times that you don't want to make a decision or you're having to make a decision that you thought you'd never have to make. It's like uh, we said last week, it's like a job offer that comes in, and it's really good. <laughs> I mean, it's really good. Uh, it's very, very good, but, but to take that job... Means that you're going to have to make some adjustments. You may have to move from a community that's, that you love and it's a great place to raise your kids. And uh, the money might look good right now, but is that really, really, really where you should be? Is that really the decision that you should make? And so you've got to make a decision. You've got to do something. So what are you going to do? And how are you going to decide is that the decision that you need to make? Or here's a, here's a good one. Let's just say that. Um, You're in a relationship. You're a single adult, male or female. You play the story out. And you've been waiting for that right person. And you think that you found the right person. You've been in a relationship now, Tom, for probably six or eight months. And you know what's on your mind? Man, we're going to get married. Whoo, she's fine looking. That's what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, while at work one day, somebody says, Man, I need to sit down and talk to you. I I need to sit down and share some stuff with you. And they share some stuff with you that you never knew. And if they're true, it has the ability to offer, to alter really what's going on because why wouldn't this person have shared this story with me if this is really what's going on? And you've got to make a decision. You really don't want to say anything because you're afraid because if you say something and it's true, but you just rather just sort of pass over it. You'd, you'd really, really just rather ignore it. But if you ignore it, you may never, ever, ever, ever get married. What do you do? To us, it seems logical, but you've never maybe been in that situation. So how do you handle that? The first question we ask ourselves up front was this. In the decision-making process, when I'm forced to make a decision, one of the first questions we need to ask ourselves is this. Am I being completely honest with myself? Did we learn last week in Jeremiah chapter 17, and we went through a scenario to give us an, an idea of what was taking place. Jeremiah said this. The heart is deceitful above all things, beyond cure. Who can understand it? And it's very, very easy for us to find ourselves in the decision-making process, needing to make a decision, and all of a sudden, you know this to be true. You can talk yourself into or out of anything that you want to do. You've done it. I've done it. I mean, and and you you know what you'll do before? You'll come up with a thousand excuses to explain why what you're deciding to do is the right thing to do, regardless if it's the right thing or not. Once you to make that decision up. Once your heart has deceived you, you're off and you're headed in that direction. And so we said last week, one of the first questions you need to ask, which is very, very difficult. One of the first questions we need to ask ourselves is this, am I being completely honest with myself? Second question we're going to ask today isn't isn't necessarily as intimidating, but it's extremely important. Because somewhere down along the line, we're going to have to look back and tell a story. Somewhere along the line, we're going to have to look back And think about those things that we've done. And so the second question that we want to ask you guys today is this. Considering the future, in light of what the future may hold, thinking about the future, thinking about a legacy of faith if you're a believer, what kind of story do I want to one day look back and tell? think about that. You ever thought about that in the midst of a decision? I mean, how is this going to affect my future? And down the line, what kind of story do I one one day want to be able to look back and tell? I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 39. We're going to talk about a story today that it's a man that we've talked about before. We've talked about this story, but it's so applicable to where we are. And I think it really, really hits, hits home the point. Um, Because every one of these questions that we're going to find ourselves asking through this series was going to come back to Scripture because it's sort of the guideline. And I I don't know about you, but I wish that life was like bowling yesterday for Caleb's birthday. I wish that when my name was called that I could have those bumpers that would sort of slide up. And so whichever decision I made, it would sort of stay on the in-between. You know what I'm saying? You know those bumpers, I've never seen anything like that before. But here they were. As soon as the certain kid would go up, the bumpers would go whoop and they could and they would go all over the place. And I wish life was like that, but it's not like that. But you know what God does? He says, Listen, he said, I'm going to give you my word to provide for you some insight on maybe some how you might be able to make some wise decisions. And so today is We look at this passage, it's going to help us out and give us a little bit of an insight of maybe what we need to do and how we need to go about making decisions. But the truth is this one day we're going to look back and condense our life down into a story. And the question for us is what kind of story do we want to one day be able to tell? Um, We already do this. If you sit down with me, I can tremendous. I can give you all these different stories about life experiences. All these different stories about life experiences. But one day, we are all going to condense certain seasons of our life or periods of our lives down into a story. And what if we were to spend more time up front focused on the future decisions instead of looking back and having to feel guilty or to hide those things that we've done? Here's a couple of scenarios for you. Let's say you're in a marriage, things aren't going that well. How many married people do we have here today? Let's say you're in a marriage and things aren't going too well, and and you're both believers, you're both followers of Christ. There's stress that's going on. You know that there's stress. There's things that are taking place. And if you're in a marriage and don't have stress, look out, baby, she's coming. You will always have stress in marriage. That's just the way it is. If, If you don't have stress, somebody's lying. That's just the process. But let's say you're in a marriage and stress is there, and everything, there's there's a tremendous amount of stress that's flowing in from work, things that are taking place, and you just don't think you can take it anymore. I've had enough. And, you know, you seem like you bring this stuff home and you talk to your spouse, but it doesn't seem seem to click. They don't seem to understand really what you're trying to say. But there's somebody back at work that seems to understand a little bit better. Ever heard a scenario like that? You might even be in a scenario like that. And so it's, does, it seems like there's all this stress. And, you know, you, you got married on the, you met with Tom and Sandy, and you, and you met, got married based on the fact that till death do us part but all of a sudden the grass looks greener on the other side and you start questioning yourselves and you and you come to the conclusion, well, listen, God's going to forgive me anyway. He's a God that forgives. So why don't I just go ahead and step outside the marriage? Why don't we just go ahead and end it? Because I just don't like what I'm experiencing right now. I don't like the way I feel. Now, is that the best situation? Or let's say we turn it around just a little bit. Let's say that um, we have the same scenario. Instead of you got a couple that's in stress, but instead of even considering the divorce, this couple is honest about where they are. They, they're honest about the stress, and they're honest about the conflict, and they know that life is difficult. But this is what they come to the conclusion. God, we understand that you're in control, and we're going to trust you, and we're going we're to follow you, and we're going to seek you for direction. We made a decision till death do part, and that commitment in our relationship has not changed because you're God. Obviously, there's an issue. Divorce isn't in our vocabulary. I'm afraid. They're honest. I'm afraid. But I'm going to seek help because our marriage matters. When you start thinking about the future and about the complications, and you start thinking about one day being able to look back and tell the story, the truth is that every one of us in this room will one day look back and tell a story. But what kind of story do you want to tell? What's right what we think is right, what's convenient, what's easiest, what's, what feels acceptable, or what everybody around us says that we ought to do, may not be the best decision. And that's the truth. Every one of us face decisions that require action. But we have to make a decision. What are you going to do? And so today's question says, listen, thinking about the future, and we're not even talking about this could be you, and you don't even have a relationship with the Lord. Just hold off of that just for a second. And that's the reality. There are some of you that may not even be Christians. But just thinking about the future and the story that one day we want to be able to look back and tell, what are you going to do? See, there's some of you guys that are just like me, Kenny. you got parts of your story from the past that you don't really want to tell. You just don't really want to go back and think about. You don't want to go back and have to relive. And you don't want to have to throw up on somebody about all the mistakes of your past. What happens if you would have did this up front before you ever came to this process? What happens if you had come to this decision that listen, I'm gonna look into the future and I'm gonna I'm gonna see and I want to see what kind of story I want to one day look back and tell. What if you would have done that? What would it be to live life and to be able to tell the whole story, not just part of the story? Is there a part of your story that even you leave out now because of the embarrassment or because of the pain? Genesis chapter 39, we find a story of a, of a young man by the name of Joseph, and he's sort of a poster child for, for our question today, and we're going to look at that story. Joseph was a young man. He was the youngest of, well, he wasn't the youngest. He was one of the youngest of, of 12 brothers. And uh, he just had this thing about him because his dad was attached to him. His dad had, had favored him, and he, and he loved him, and there seemed to be some, some stresses that were created. Uh, can imagine as they got together for certain celebrations within that family, the stress that was created because they had a brother that was favored. Maybe you're in a situation like that. You feel like you've been slighted. You feel like you're on the, the bottom end of the rung when your family gets together. You may feel like the black sheep. Well, here's Joseph. Here's this young man, and every time that they seemed to get together, there was an issue. And one day, Dad sends him out, and he, he goes to check on his brothers. And when they, when they check on his brothers, the brothers are plotting and thinking, what are they going to do? And so they take him when they see him, and they're so angry, and they're so bitter, and they're just so mad that they take him, and they throw him in a cistern. They sit down, and they have lunch, and think about what in the world are they going to do? Along the line, here comes a group of traitors. They say, hey, listen, we can not only, uh, we can not only get rid of our brother, and get rid of our anger, what we also can do is we can sell him and make a profit. So why don't we do that? And so that's exactly what they do. And they take the coat that he had, the coat that seemed to to drive a wedge in the relationship that they all had and make them so angry that was one of the uh, gifts that the father had given them. And they took his coat and they shredded it and they ripped it up and they dipped it in blood and they took the coat back to the father. And they said this. They said, Dad, listen. We just want you to understand, it looks like our brother has been eaten by a wild animal. It looks like that our brother is dead. And in the midst of all of this, the traders take Joseph off to Egypt. And so you get the picture that here is Joseph, now being sold as a slave. He's purchased by Potiphar, who's in the captain of Pharaoh's uh, personal guard. And here he is, a slave in the home of a wealthy Egyptian. Now, if there was a kid that had the ability, around 17 years old, Be like selling Wes. She's like your parents, your brothers and sisters. Be like selling Wes and saying, listen, baby, you're out of here. But here he is at the tender age of 17, thinking about what in the world am I going to do? And he had to make some decisions. He really wasn't in control, was he? He would have been sold as a slave. Here he is in the home of a wealthy Egyptian. And what is he going to do? What's he going to think? What's he going to feel? How's he going to respond? And if there's anybody that ever had an excuse to hold a grudge, it would be him, Larry. If there was anybody that ever had the ability or the, the right to hold a grudge, we would look at this and go, man, you have a right to. I agree with you. You ever done somebody like that? Well, I agree with how you feel because I can feel your pain. I can feel exactly where you are. And let me tell you what, you are justified. You are justified. You ever told somebody that? You ever given somebody advice that was totally contrary to God's word because of, based off of what you felt instead of what truth was? You ever done that? Yeah, we all have. We all have. And so here he is at this place in, the, in life having to make a decision. And as tough as things might have been, Joseph just dug in his heels and he said, Listen, in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of the consequences that I'm walking through, God is in control, and I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to hold on to this. He didn't walk around like, like, like he had a chip on his shoulder, but he chose to live as if God was with him. And as a result, God blessed him. And you know what? Potter foresaw that God was with him, and he moved him up the ranks, and he moved him up to a place of authority and to a place of leadership. And here he was. He was now a poster child a poster child, and he was given more responsibility, and eventually found himself as an overseer of all of Potiphar's household. And man, things looked like they were going great. But when things are going great, there's always making an opportunity for something to take place, and the rug is just getting ready to get pulled out right, in front, right up from underneath him. So you may know the story. Here it is. Here it is, and things change. Joseph is doing great finds himself in a situation that regardless of what is going on, it is helpless. Here he is, he finds himself in a circumstance, he's being pursued by Potiphar's wife of all things. A 17-year-old man on the verge having to make a decision, and he knows that whatever he does, he is going to lose. He knows that whatever takes place, whatever decision he makes, he is going to get bumped. That's it. And here is a great time to ask this question. What is the story one day that I want to look back and be able to tell? Look at Genesis chapter 39, verse 6 with me. Let's pick it up there. Genesis chapter 39, verse 6. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything that he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about anything except what kind of food to eat. Now, that sounds like a pretty good life to me. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Uh, Kenny, I uh, see. Um, Brian, won't you stand up? Come on, man. He's well-built, handsome. Young. Turn around so everybody can see you. <laughs> well-built, handsome. This is probably what Joseph looked like, okay? Great-looking guy. <laughs> now you got this in your mind. He was a good-looking young man, and Potiphar's wife, Soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she said. She demanded, but Joseph refused. The only thing that we know is approximately he was around 20 years of age. And those of you that are men, you know what's going on in his mind. Don't you lie to me. Be completely honest. You know exactly what's going on. Now, we don't even know what she looked like. She could have been ugly for all we know. (laughs) But here's the boss's wife making, making passes at this young man. And the Bible says that he refused. He refused. Um, don't you think that all this thing was going on in his mind? Don't you think he was trying to figure out and perceive what in the world's taking place? I, I bet there was so much stress. And as he's thinking about the future, he's thinking about this. If I give in, the truth will eventually come out. If I give in, it's going to come out. I'm going to die. If I don't give in, She's going to make up some story. I'm going to be dead. I can't run. I mean, I'm I'm in Egypt, for goodness sake. Where in the world am I going to run to? I can't run, so what am I going to do? And eventually, Joseph, he sort of speaks out. And this is what he says. He recounts. God's work in his life up until this point. And look at what he says. He goes on to say something like this. My master, your husband, has trusted me with everything in his entire household. And it's like he's going through this story. And look what he says in verse 9. No one here has more authority than I. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. But obviously you have forgotten that you're his wife because you are approaching me. See, Joseph wasn't the only one that was making a decision here. She was making a decision too. In the middle of the conversation, Joseph's mind, and I wonder what was going on, and look at what it says next. He follows this, but how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. In other words, thinking about how much your husband trusts me, Think about the, relationship with I, thinking about the relationship that I have with your husband, but more importantly, thinking about the relationship that I have with God. How in the world could I do such a thing? Thinking about the legacy that I want to one day leave, and thinking about the story that one day I want to be able to look back and tell, Joseph says, what? No. He says, No. He refused. He said, no. In verse 10, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day after day, and he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. Man, there's a great clue for those of you that are being tested, those of you that are being tried. You stay away. You stay away. You run And the whole time, Joseph is probably dealing with options. But listen, just as Joseph was dealing with options, she was dealing with options. And don't you think that she already had a list of excuses that when somebody asked her what was going on, how she was going to respond to Joseph and the relationship and what she was trying to accomplish? Don't you think that she had already come up with a plan just in case she got caught? Just in case she got caught? The story's not over because Potiphar's wife eventually cries out. And she said, he tried to rape me. And look at what it says in verse 17. Then she told him her story. Then, then she, she told him her story. That Hebrew slave that you brought into our house has tried to come in and fool around with me. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. She had already, she'd already thought this plan up. She knew exactly what she was going to do. It's almost like she had done this before. Potiphar probably should have killed him, but he didn't. And I wonder why, if, if it wasn't because Potiphar said, oh, here we go again. Oh, here we go again. Two years, a couple of years go by, he's, he's in prison. He meets a couple of guys that are there that are, that are Pharaoh's court. A little while later, Pharaoh has a dream and, and uh, there's a guy that's there and we're bypassing times, time periods really fast. Pharaoh has a dream and he can't interpret the dream. And one of the guys goes, I remember a guy I met in the dungeon way back. Let me go get him because I think he can interpret the dream that you have. And so he did. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh says, who in the world can we put in a position to be in leadership that is intelligent and wise? And he says, I choose you, Joseph. I choose you. Because who in this country is more intelligent or wiser than you are? And so he now moves Joseph here is Joseph on this trail, and he gets thrown in prison. He's sold as a slave, and he's accused of this, and he goes back to prison, and he's back, at, you know, now he's back at second in charge of all of Egypt. God knew exactly what was taking place. Joseph held on the whole time to his faith in Christ and would not let, let go. All along the line, Joseph is having to make choices. And when it seemed that there was no hope, Joseph, along these lines of decision-making, had already asked himself, what kind of legacy do I want to leave? What kind of story do I want to one day look back and, and tell? And you see, one of the things we've not even said so far, I wonder what kind of stories that Joseph's brothers were telling up to this point. They would sit around the table, probably having a meal, and hear some of the small children saying, didn't we used to have an uncle that was named Joseph? Well, yeah. But we got really ticked off as a group of brothers and he made us mad. And so when he came up to the hill to check on us one day, we took him and we murdered him. or We, 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 we wanted to murder him, but we didn't murder him because we thought well, that may not be the best thing to do. We threw him in a cistern and then there came some, uh, some, some uh, traitors by and we, we figured, well, let's just not only get rid of him, but let's make some money. I mean, what kind of story do you think these guys were telling along this journey when they were looking back at what they had done? What kind of stories do you think that they were telling? What what do you think that they they said about the fact that they lied to their, their dad and they broke his heart? I wonder if they said what we did wasn't an accident, but it was deliberate. I wonder if they were honest. I wonder if they were truthful. See, what feels good, what seems right, what seems acceptable by those around us, those brothers thought they were doing the right thing. But was it the right thing? Was it the right thing? And for 15 years, these brothers are carrying this stuff, this story along with them. But that's not the end of the story. Because there was a famine in the land. And you know what happens? Here's dad, sends off brothers to Egypt, and guess who they end up meeting? Joseph. The guy that they thought that they had gotten rid of. The guy that they thought that they would never, ever, ever see again. Joseph knows who they are. He had endured the pain. He'd walked through the bitterness. He'd endured all the deception. And the question was this, I wonder what he would do. Because Joseph had to make a decision. What kind of legacy did he want to leave? What kind of story did one day he want to look back and be able to tell? See, because he had a choice. The choice was, I feel it, baby. You know all that pain that I felt, all that stuff that I went through. You're going to bear the burden of it now, because I'm in charge. I'm the big dog, and I can do whatever I want to, and there won't be any consequences. So he had a choice, or he could say, "I remember, but I choose to forgive. I remember." I remember what you did. I remember how I felt. I remember where I was. I remember the smell. I remember the abandonment. I remember exactly where I was in the midst of that time and how you treated me. But I choose to forgive you. I'm choosing to forgive you. Because Joseph knew that one day he'd have to look back and he'd have to reflect on his life and he'd have to tell a story. And the truth is, is that every one of us in this building, every one of us, regardless if you are a firm believer in Christ or if you're far, far away from the Lord, the truth is you're going to have to make decisions. And Eric, one day you're going to have to look back and you're going to have to tell the story. And there might be some parts of that story that you leave out because they're so painful. What would it be like to be able to tell the whole story? I was talking to somebody this past week in the, in the, uh, the uh, barbershop and uh, she was telling me what she was going through and decisions she was have, having to make. And I just looked at her and tremendous decisions. And I looked at her and I just said this. Considering your future and one day knowing that you're going to have to look back and tell the story, what kind of story are you going to want to tell? She just sort of looked at me. And I said, are you being completely honest with yourself? She just looked at me had a young man that called me probably two or three weeks ago, uh, one of our, our students from many, 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 many years ago. He's not young anymore. He's, he's probably about 40 years old. But uh, I remember a phone call that I got when he was 17 years old, and I remember us having a discussion because he was being accused of something that I knew that he didn't do because it wasn't his character. See, I knew this young man's character at 17 years old. I'd spent time with him. I'd played with him, and I went to conferences with him, Sherry, and I knew his heart. And when he was accused of stealing, when he was accused of stealing a night deposit, I mean, here was a 17-year-old that was a night manager for a, for a business, a large business. And I knew that when he was accused, I know that it wasn't right. And I, but that, that, what he went through completely altered his life. And as we sat down and as we talked, uh, he was eventually acquitted of what, took place, that, that all charges were, th- were thrown away. They found out that it wasn't him, but it was somebody else that had stole the money. I mean, but you had the newspaper reports and you had the accusations and he had lost his job. And by that time, he was off to college. And as we talked the other day on the phone, we, I went back and I said, hey, Derek, I said, man, do you, do you remember that time? And he looked back and he said, yeah, I remember. And he said, now when I go back and I tell that story, I tell the story of God's faithfulness and how God provided. And he said, you know what? What they did to me seems like something that I have the ability to go back and be angry and bitter about. But, man, all I have a story right now is of God's grace and his protection, of God's forgiveness and God's provision. Because now he is a corporate manager for a bank, for a region. Here's a guy that was accused of stealing at 17. It wasn't right. But now God's got him in a place of position, just like Joseph, being over. Um... It was just such a a great thing to be able to go back because Derek had the ability to go back and point fingers and to have an excuse. But he knew that one day he'd have to look back and tell the story. And if I'm honest, guys, there are parts of my story that I don't want to go back and recall. There are parts of my story and my thoughts or things that I've done that I don't want to go back and relive. And if my kids were to ask me, there are some things that I would really struggle with about telling them the truth. Anybody agree with me? And probably there have been things in your life that you've been asked about, and you've sort of waddled your way around the conversation, and you've sort of ignored the real truth, and you've sort of come up with another story. Are you with me? The funny thing is that some of those major decisions in life were not before we ever knew the Lord. Some of those major complications in life are bad decisions that we've made why we're professing to be a Christian? Hello, hello. So I just asked this question, going back. Jim, you're awesome because you great, gave us a great verse, great, great passage of scripture for the students. Lord, we sure our trust in you by obeying your laws, and our heart's desire is to glorify your name. What would it be like to one day to look ahead to the future to say, the only thing that I want to be able to say about my life is that I sought to glorify God's name in everything. Wouldn't that be awesome? That'd be awesome. Not how many times I went to church, not how many times I gave, not how many times, how many ministries I were involved in, how many times service hours I gave, or the fact that I participated in Operation Blessed Wildwood, or I, I did this over here. Didn't have anything to do. The main thing was, did I choose to glorify God's name in all things? So, question number one, when you're faced with making critical decisions, are you willing to be honest? Question number two, considering the future. And as you think about the legacy that you want to leave, the second question is, what kind of story do you want to tell? And you ask me this, what's at stake? There's probably about a hundred reasons that are in these rooms, children's rooms right now. What's at stake? A generation. We've got to make a decision what we're going to do. I believe this next year we're going to have to make some major decisions as a church. Great decisions. Awesome decisions. We're at a place of God's blessing. And we've got to make some major decisions. What are we going to do next? What's it going to look like? But if we can just ask ourselves and stay true to this, it'll help us through an awful lot. Am I being honest? Am I being honest? And number two, what kind of story do we want to one day look back and be able to tell? And if we'll stick to these questions, because see, we're not done yet. Because we've got two more weeks. But if we'll stick to these questions, and if we'll stick to this process, it'll help us all out. We won't have anything to worry about. What's at stake? A future. Our future. We have such an unbelievable opportunity to make an impact. Would you pray with me this morning?